It's the start of September, and as Claire has already seen, and as we've um, said, and as we've already seen in our service, it, it marks, for, for maybe a lot of us, a, a return to normal life. It's, it's back to school, back to work, back to many of our normal patterns and routines, back to porridge. Although we make a big deal of, of January uh, as the time for New Year's resolutions, when we consider our, our behavior in the past and how it might change in the present, it, it struck me years ago that September, at least in my life, feels much more like a time of change, a, a time when the, the year has passed and, and a new year is beginning. So I have a real sense of that again in my own family and here at Hamilton Road. So that makes September a really good time to, to stop and to take stock before we dive into a new year uh, of life at school or at work, at home or at church, it's good to ask ourselves some questions about how we are living and, and how we're going to live. Uh, so this morning, that's kind of the, the territory I, I want to invite you into. Uh, I want to ask you to consider a couple of the biggest questions you, you could ever ask yourself. Where am I going? And what am I building? Those questions, I, I think they're always in the background. We may not think of them consciously, but they're, they're always at work in our lives. You see, we're all going somewhere and we're all building something. If I don't pay any attention to those questions, it doesn't mean that I'm not going anywhere or building anything. It, it just means that I'll, I'll end up going with the flow. I'll imbibe typical North Down values and just live the same way that everyone else around me lives. I'll end up going precisely where the culture will lead me. Where am I going? I'm going to get the best education that I can so that I can earn all that I can, so that I can buy all that I can and consume all that I can, and that I can impress you as much as I possibly can. If I don't think about it, that's probably where I'm going. What am I building? I'm building a castle for me and for my family, a place where we'll feel safe and secure, a place of comfort, and if we're wealthy enough, even luxury. I'm building the good life for myself and those whom I love. If I don't think about it very much, that's probably what I'm building. This morning as we come to God's word, we're going to discover better answers to those questions about where we're going and what we're building. So let's, let's pray and ask for God to speak to us about these crucial matters. Let's pray. Uh, Father, you are our creator. You and only you have given us life. We thank you, Lord, that you've not only given us life, but you've given us your word, which leads us into life. Lord, help us never to try to live these lives without reference to you. Help us not to try to live our lives without paying attention to your word. We pray that you'd speak to us this morning about the lives that we're living, where we're going, and what we're building. Amen. This morning, we're 
mostly in these opening nine verses of Genesis chapter 12, we're going to notice a couple of things. We're going to notice God's call, Abram's response, and then thirdly, the life that God calls us to. So first of all, God's call. We're told, verse 1, that God called Abram. Who's Abram? Well, I asked Tom to read a little bit further back to to help us work out who Abram was. Chapter 11, verse 10, we see a heading that tells us that we're looking at the family tree of Shem all the way down to Abram. So Abram's a descendant of Shem. And who's Shem? Well, if you know your Bible stories from Sunday school, you might, that name might ring a bell. Uh, the story of Noah. Noah, we know, had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Abram, then, is a descendant of Noah. Noah, the same Noah whom God had rescued from the flood as he acted to judge a sinful world. So that's, that's maybe enough to get us going. That's who Abram is. Notice God's first word in his call to Abram. Go. In the previous version of the NIV, there was a different word used. And you'll see that they're just two sides of a coin. In the previous version of the NIV, it read, leave. Leave your country. God's first word to Abram is leave. What's he to leave? Have a look at the text. Leave your country, leave your people, leave your family. Abram's already left his country. I'd sort of forgotten about this until it was back in the text this week. In the closing verses of chapter 11, we read that Terah, his father, had already set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan, but that he hadn't completed the journey. So Abram's somebody who's already immigrated in his lifetime. He's, he's left home, if you like. And he stopped in a place called Haran. We'll show you a map here. So there's Ur of the Chaldeans over in the east, or if you prefer, the right-hand side of the slide. And there's Haran up at the, the top in the northwest. So that's the first journey that Abram makes. It's marked by green arrows. So Abram hears God's call, not in Ur of the Chaldeans, where he, he was born, but in Haran. And God wants him now to move on again from that country. God calls Abram to leave his people. The communities that we're born into inevitably shape us. The culture we live in forms us. God wants Abram to leave the community that's been shaping and forming him. God calls Abram to leave his father's household leave your family. Family, the the sociologists will tell you, family is the fundamental nurturing community. God wants Abram to leave his family behind. God wants Abram to be nurtured in a new way. Whenever God calls Abram to leave his country, his people, his family, the call really couldn't be any more comprehensive. God's calling this man to leave behind pretty much everything that makes him who he is. He's calling him to an entirely new way of life. 
leave. That's the first word. It's God's first word for Abram, and it's also God's first word for each one of us. I wonder, have you realized that yet? How fundamental the call to leave is in our life with God. A couple of years ago, in the summer of 2021, we preached a sermon series here based on a a series of the Psalms from number 120 through to 135, the Songs of Ascent. These are songs that the pilgrims used to sing on their way to the annual festivals in Jerusalem. In the first of these Psalms, Psalm 120, the psalmist cries out, Woe is me that I live in Meshech, that I've lived among the tents of Kedar. Don't don't worry if you don't know where those places are. But he's fed up with where he lives. Our journey with God can't begin until we're fed up with where we are. We've got to hear God's call to leave. For those of us who are entirely comfortable right where we are in the lives we find ourselves in, we, we need to be unsettled. We need to be ready to leave. Do you remember... How Jesus first spoke to the crowds, his first word, repent, turn around, leave the place where you are or the trajectory that you're on and come with me. Leave is always the first word in our life with God and our journey with Jesus. everybody's unsettled now and thinking, do I have to go home and put the for sale sign up? The leaving's not always physical, as it is for Abram being asked to, to leave Haran, but there's always leaving to be done, and here's why. It's because this world will not bring you to God. It won't. It simply won't. I hope that penny's dropped with you by now. To come to God, you've got to leave the mainstream of our culture and join a new community, a new society that's journeying with Jesus Christ to God. We need to leave the old ways behind so that we can learn the new life that Christ calls us to. So in our journey with Jesus, the first word is always leave. What's the next word? Let's read the passage. Leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. The second word is go. Go where, Lord? I'm not telling you. Just go. While the Lord doesn't tell Abram exactly where he's leading him, he does tell him what he's going to give him in place of what he's going to leave behind. Did you notice that? Leave your country, God says. And a little later in the passage, we find God in verse 7 appearing to Abram saying, to your offspring, I will give this land. Leave your country, but I'm going to give you this land. Leave your people, God said, but look now at verse 2. I'll make you a great nation and I'll bless you. I'll give you a new nation, a new people. 
Leave your family, God said. But he goes on to describe the family that he's going to give Abram. Verse 3, a family so large that all people on earth will be blessed through you. Actually, there's another thing that God's promising Abram here to replace what he might be leaving behind. You see, if he sets off from Haran, he's setting off into the unknown. He'll be unknown. He'll be a nobody, a man with no name. Flick with me back to chapter 11. That account there of the Tower of Babel that precedes this call of Abraham, it's intended to be understood as a backdrop or a context for this call on Abraham. Do you remember what the Babel builders had intended when they built their city and with their great tower in it that's going to reach the heavens? Verse 4, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. They wanted to build a reputation, to leave a mark, to achieve some significance, to make a name for themselves. If you read that story, you'll see that they failed miserably. But look again now at God's call to Abraham and his promise, verse 2. I will make your name great. You've already, Abram, you've already left Ur of the Chaldeans, that sister city of Babel with its pride and its hubris. Now I'm calling you again to leave Haran, this place where you've become established and well-known. Don't worry. I'll look after you. I'll give you a name. I'll give you a life of far greater significance than anything that you're leaving behind in Babel or in Haran. I will make your name great. Wow. When you see all of that, no sooner have we begun to feel sorry for Abram, who's being asked to to leave uh, certain things, than we see that God's promising him far, far more than he's leaving behind. God's promising him a new land, a great community, a family of blessing, and an eternal name. Friends, we're still fearful of following God's call. We're still afraid of what it will mean for us to leave. But God's word shows us right at the outset here that any time that we obey God's call, that we leave and we go, that God is no man's debtor. Whatever we leave behind, he'll replace many times over. He'll give us far, far more. So we've thought about God's call. It's to leave and to go. How does Abram respond? The narrative is really very sparse at this point. Look at verse 4. So Abram went. (laughs) We're simply told that he obeyed. He did as the Lord told him. The narrator gives us some idea of what might be involved for Abram by telling us a little bit of his circumstances. Look there. He's 75 years old. We're told that he took his wife, Sarah, his nephew, Lot, all the possessions that accumulated and the people that acquired in Haran, and they set out. It seems to me that even then, there's quite a lot behind this bare narrative. Maybe it's because I remember what it was like to move house a couple of years ago. Claire and I, with our three children, we moved a relatively short distance 
to a place that we were somewhat familiar with, with the aid of a removal van. To us, it felt like a huge upheaval. Abram's move, I think, is a big deal. Whenever God called him in verse 1, he told him to leave Haran and to go to the land that I'll show you. How did that go? Well, reading these opening chapters of verse 12, I, I get the impression that the Lord hasn't shown him just yet where he's to go. He heads for Canaan, but he doesn't settle. We're told, verse 6, that he traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moriah at Shechem. Doesn't settle there. From there, he went onward towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent. We're told, verse 8, he doesn't settle there. In the closing verse of our chapter, verse 9, we're told again that Abram set out and continued towards the Negev. He's left He's going, but he doesn't seem to know exactly where he's going. Notice this. Abram isn't at all clear about where he is going, but he's absolutely certain about who is going with him. Did you spot that? Wherever he goes, he recognizes God's presence with him. When he arrives at the great tree of Moriah and Shechem, he built an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. When he's moved to the hills east of Bethel, he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Abram doesn't know quite where he's going, but he knows who is going with him. Isn't that quite wonderful? I was fortunate enough to be in the crowd at King's Hall in Belfast in the summer of 1987 when you two brought the Joshua Tree Tour to our city. And I can still remember how Bono introduced the band that evening. He said this, we're four friends from Dublin who didn't know where we were going but decided to go there together. I love that. I think it's fantastic. I don't need to know exactly where I'm going so long as I know who is going with me. I don't need to know exactly what comes next in my life so long as I know that I'm going where the living God has called me and that I know he goes with me. Folks, I'm old enough to be able to look back on my many occasions in my life where I've, I've sensed God's call and have set off into to somewhat of the unknown. I remember the feeling I had as a young chartered accountant, this sense that no, uh, staying in, in chartered accounting practice or in some branch of finance wasn't what God had for me, that he was calling me to be a, an ordained minister and that he wanted me to engage in theological study, something that I would no, no background in at all. I, I remember that feeling of, of uncertainty about that. I remember as a, a young assistant minister leaving the security and the stability of a wonderful, vibrant, large community at Highkirk and Ballymena and setting off for a, a dying church called Kirkpatrick Memorial on the 
the Newtonards Road, not, not knowing whether there'd be any people left there to minister to in a few years' time. More recently, I've known what it is to be a, a minister established wonderfully by the grace of God at Kirkpatrick Memorial and leaving again to come this time to Bangor, not knowing whether my ministry here would be received. As I look back on all of those moves and more, I tell you, I've never had a sense of certainty about what the outcomes would be in any of those scenarios. How could I? Who of us knows the future? But in each case, I had a strong sense of God's call, God's leading. I don't need to know exactly where I'm going so long as I know who goes with me and that he'll continue with me. I wonder what God thinks of Abram's response. These Old Testament narrators, they're very skillful. They don't always give everything away. They just tell their story. This narrator here in Genesis 12 doesn't tell us a whole lot, doesn't interpret much for us. But, but as we read the story of the Bible, we, we soon get a sense of how to interpret Abram's response to God's conflict. Just a few pages, chapter 15. The narrator starts to declare his hand. At a point where God's covenant with Abram's coming into sharper focus, we read verse 6, that Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. God considered Abram righteous or right by him, if you like. Because he believed him. Because he did what God called him to do. We have to wait a lot longer till, till the latter stages of the Bible to get a fuller interpretation of Abraham's obedience. Turn with me to Hebrews 11. This is well worth a look. Hebrews 11, page 1209, if you're using the Pew Bible. In What's a, a very famous chapter. You'll see the heading there in the NIV. It's Faith in Action. The writer begins his famous chapter on faith with a definition. He says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. He tells us that this is what the ancients were commended for. He spends most of the remainder of the chapter giving us a, a who's who of biblical characters who lived by faith. But towering over them all is Abram. Notice how he describes Abram, beginning in verse 8. By faith, Abram, when called to go to a place he'd later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. 
I promised at the outset that we'd be considering a couple of very significant questions this morning. Where am I going and what am I building? And I promised that we'd find better answers than those our culture offers and would find them here in the Word of God. How would Abram answer those questions, I wonder? Where am I going? (laughs) I'm not entirely sure. But I am entirely sure that I want to go with the God who has called me. And I want to live by faith. Abram, what are you building? Again, that doesn't feel important to me. I'm happy to live in a tent. I'm not building a castle for myself and my family. I'm not building a city to make myself great. You see, I've set my heart on living in a better city, the best city of all. The city that cannot be shaken, designed and built by the living God. I'm living by faith in the living God. Abram believes that God's going to take him to a better place than he could ever go to himself. He believes that God will build him a better life than the life he could build for himself. Abram's living by faith. We've thought this morning about God's call, Abram's response. Very quickly, just for a moment, the life God is calling us to. God never intended that Abram would be the only person who'd live by faith. He didn't even want Abram to be some sort of a shining example of faith. And the rest of us go, wow, wasn't Abram great? And continue in our faithless lives. No. Verse 6 of Hebrews 11. The writer tells us, for all of us, without faith, it is impossible to please God. This is for all of us. Each one of us must learn to live by faith. If we haven't already begun a life with God through his son, Jesus Christ, then we need to learn to trust God that he will forgive us our sins and that he will save us. In a wonderful account of the gospel, Paul explains how we're saved by grace through faith and he draws on the story of Abram. At the end of chapter 4 of Romans, Paul says this, the word it was credited to him were written not for him, that is Abram alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus Christ, our Lord, from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Friends, we must, every last one of us must Learn to trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's the faith that pleases God. Then and only then can we be declared righteous by God.
Many of us who have grown up in churches like this won't be surprised to hear me say that, that our life with God begins by faith. You might be surprised to hear me say that it must continue by faith. For Paul, we don't just trust God once with some first encounter with Jesus Christ and then go on living faithless lives. No. We live our whole lives now by faith in the one who saved us. Paul simply can't imagine living any other way than by faith. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Listen to this. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He loved me, he died for me, and now I live by faith in him. Friends, those of us who say that we have trusted Jesus Christ to save us from death must now trust in him as we learn to live our lives. We must all learn to live by faith. I'm praying that the Lord will speak to me and to you as we study together this part of his word, this life of Abraham, these autumn Sunday mornings, and that by his grace, we'll all learn to live by faith. Let me pray. Lord, uh, people like us, people who grow up in places like this, talk sometimes very glibly about our faith and how we've trusted Jesus. Lord, the truth is some of us have never taken the step to trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Lord, convict us today of our need for Jesus and help us to do that. Lord, the truth is that many of us who at one point did throw ourselves in trust on you, have slipped back into a, a, a kind of a practical atheism where we live our lives as if you simply didn't exist. We're trusting you for nothing in our Monday to Saturday. We're, we're living just like the person next door who doesn't know you at all. Lord, would you teach us, would you help us this morning to hear, a call your uh, hear afresh your call to, to leave the way that we're living and to go to the place that you're calling us to and to do so trusting in you. Help us today, this week and this month to grow as people who live by faith. We pray it in Jesus' name.